Welcome back to a special edition episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we only have one story, and it comes from The Intercept. And this one's talking about how the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has been colluding and actively working with big tech social media companies in order to stop certain political opinions from reaching a wider audience. So if you don't know how this normally works, this would be the 30th episode. And normally we do about three articles in a daily delight. But this one, the story broke yesterday after I had already recorded the episode that was going to go live today, Wednesday the 2nd. So I'm kind of doing this spur of the moment. It may be a little bit different, maybe a little bit harder to keep track of at some points because I don't have notes. But I do have this article that I've read through and taken down a few places where I think we could grab a few quotes. We will still have a daily debate, though. And the daily debate today is, is the government becoming too involved in a person's public slash social life? When you look at some of the people that have been banned from social media companies, the fact that certain trends or even certain hashtags or certain topics can't be talked about or people get banned for using them on social media, is there an element of this that is political in nature? And, you know, this article that I have here today will explain how it is. But did you have that feeling before you read this article or you heard about the DHS getting involved? Did you ever feel like when you were on social media that some of your opinions were being suppressed because they weren't quote-unquote right think? They weren't the actual facts that the government wanted to display? All right, I know I just threw a lot at you. If you have any comments about the daily debate, throw it down there in the comment section. Let's get straight into this article from The Intercept. It is by Ken Kalipstein and Lee Fang, and it was put out yesterday at 5 a.m. The Department of Homeland Security has been quietly broadening its efforts to curb the type of speech that it considers malinformation, disinformation, or even misinformation on social media platforms. And it's one of those conversations where the DHS, their purpose, when they were first created in 2003, was to protect the citizens of the United States from possible threats outside and even internal threats when it comes to domestic terrorism. So that was their initial goal. And as Iraq has really settled down, as ISIS has been defeated for the most part, as we've pulled out of Afghanistan and stopped worrying about Al-Qaeda as much, they've kind of lost their northern star, their guiding light. They're, they're, kind, of having, they're kind of having an identity crisis, which is, oh, the, the threats that we were put in place to try to deal with, they're, they're no longer as present. They're no longer as much of a threat as they were. So what do we do now? And they have really shifted towards a internal slash domestic view of things. They're trying to ensure that domestically violent people are, you know, people that may be nationalists or progressives or anarchists don't necessarily do things that would hurt other people within our country. And it sounds like a very noble effort. But when you know, as any organization is in the government, you know that every single administration has their political leanings, has their biases, 
And, you know, any organization in the government also has its biases. So we really have to take a step back and say, when they say that they're trying to address domestic terrorism, is their bias getting in the way? Are they seeing certain types of actions as more permissible than others? And this really has come to light. People on the conservative side have always looked at big tech and said, oh, they're really stamping down on the conservative movement, on the Republicans. They are not letting them speak their mind. Uh, think about learn to code or some of the misgendering policies that these different companies have in place. They are obviously policies that do not benefit conservatives. Because at the end of the day, a conservative, a Republican, when you ask them what misgendering is, it would be a biological male saying they're a woman. Now, if you ask a liberal that question, it would be whatever that person identifies as, it would be calling them the wrong gender or giving them the wrong pronouns. That would be misgendering. And that implies that the worldviews are completely separate. And Twitter only enforces one of those worldviews, which is if you say to a person who identifies as a male, oh, she was coming at me, she was tweeting at me, she was making inflammatory comments, and you keep misusing their pronouns, then you can be banned or suspended from Twitter previously. At least not now. We don't know what Mr. Elon Musk is going to do. But previously, you could have been banned or suspended from Twitter. And conservative people were very upset by this because the misgendering policy obviously is enforcing a worldview that they do not share. So there was always some idea that the conservative movement, that the Republicans were being suppressed on Twitter. But, you know, there was always this talk that maybe the government's involved. Jen Psaki and different administration officials talked about how they've been in contact with some of these uh, big tech corporations like Twitter, YouTube. And even a few years ago, if you remember, there was a Democratic senator who, when, when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying in front of Congress, who said to him directly, either you get your house under control or we will regulate you. And, of course, that could have come from a Republican as well. It's not saying that one side or the other is you know wants to regulate Facebook, but at the end of the day, that came from a Democrat, and it was really this, it speaks to this idea that if you don't do what we want you to do, we will impose regulations upon you. So I have a, a quote here from the very first paragraph of the article. So, quote, a panel designated to police misinformation, false information spread unintentionally, disinformation, false information spread intentionally, and malinformation, factual information shared typically out of context with harmful intent that allegedly threatens U.S. interests. While this board was wildly ridiculed, immediately scaled back, and then shut down within a few months, other initiatives are underway at DHS as the DHS pivots to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the war on terror, has been wound down, end quote. So this is talking about the disinformation governance board. If any of you were really paying attention in April, Joe Biden and the uh, DHS leader, Mr. Mayorkas, 
came out and talked about having a disinformation governance board. Basically, a board meant to monitor situations on social media platforms and determine what's misinformation, what's disinformation, what's malinformation. Now, the reason a lot of people were concerned about this on both sides is because who is the government, who is the government or even an agency of the government to determine what is misinformation, what is disinformation, or what is malinformation? And conservatives were very concerned about this because we had already seen, they had already seen trends on the part of the social media companies to ban or shut down conservative speech. So they saw that, oh, these private companies are doing it. Now the government's getting involved as well. And when it's under an administration like Joe Biden's, who is a liberal administration, there were questions raised in the minds of conservatives and Republicans saying, is this going to be good for us at the end of the day? Are they going to actually try to break down misinformation in general uh, from all sides? Or are they going to try to break down misinformation from their perspective, saying certain things that we say? No, 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 that's misinformation. Anything the Democrats say? No, 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 that, that's definitely truthful, factual information. So that was one of the major concerns. And a lot of this article really talks about the ever-growing relationship between these social media platforms and the government. There's a quote here from a Microsoft executive, Matt Masterson, quote, platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It really is interesting how hesitant they remain, end quote. And he was sending that to a DHS official named Jen Easton. Sorry, her name is actually Jen Easterly. So this really starts to highlight that it's not just the DHS stepping in and telling these organizations how to go about their business, but it's also that the DHS and these executives are having conversations back and forth behind the scenes talking about how these platforms need to get used to government being involved. And that becomes a very scary thought to a lot of different people. If you just take a step back, and I I really want you, I don't, whatever your opinion is on this matter, whether you think misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and I'll just start saying misinformation from this point on. If you think any of that stuff is being perpetuated, I still want you to take a step back and say, is it okay that the government, our government, is the arbiter of what misinformation is? And if your answer to that question is yes, then I want to pose another question to you, which is what happened in the Soviet Union during the Cold War? What happened to citizens who disagreed with the government? Because this is a a logical conclusion. If at first they can determine what is the truth, then eventually they will harm you for not agreeing with the truth or not agreeing with their truth. And I know that sounds very, very extreme. And it also kind of falls into this idea of the slippery slope fallacy. And that is me acknowledging that, no, just because they start to be more vigilant about misinformation and that they're monitoring these situations and trying to basically clarify certain situations does not inherently mean that they are going to throw us in gulags like they did in the Soviet Union. But remember, at the end of the day, the government has a monopoly on violence. 
And all it takes is a bad actor or multiple bad actors to come into office. And now that the precedent has been set that the government determines what's true and what's false, what is misinformation and what is not, then all they would have to argue is, well, for the good of the nation, we need to ensure that this population that's spreading misinformation, that is saying that the government is lying, for the sake of the people, for the sake of the populace, we need to ensure that these people are suppressed, that they are put away in different areas where people can't hear this misinf- dangerous misinformation that's going to hurt the, the union, that is going to cause civil unrest. That's not that far of a leap. I, I, I'm sorry if you can't acknowledge that, but it's really not that far of a leap if you take a step back. And there's this idea that these big tech companies, oh, well, they're, they're private. They are private institutions, so they can ban what they want. And that is true. They can moderate the content the way they see fit. But once you start getting the government involved and the government is deciding or at least trying to help them decide what is misinformation, what's disinformation, then that is an obvious violation of the First Amendment. Because at the end of the day, it is the government directly telling people what they can and cannot say in what is effectively a public forum, especially if you look at Twitter. So this is an obvious violation of the First Amendment. But, but you're probably saying, wait, Alex, Alex, hold on. These government officials, they're saying, no, no, we're just making recommendations. We're not actually saying that you have to go out and ban these people. We're just saying maybe you should take a look at this misinformation, this harmful information. Maybe you should take a look at it and make your own decisions. And that's exactly what they argue here in this article. The government says we're not trying to directly tell them what they should take down. We're just offering some assistance on you know what's misinformation, what's dishonest, and what could be harmful. And then it's up to the company to decide whether to take it down or not. But then I, I ask you this. If you're a private company in the United States and the FBI comes to you and asks you to do something that doesn't seem that illegal, or even if it does seem unethical, it's not illegal in nature by itself, and they say for the good of the country, in order to help us, pro- your company and the country prosper, we want you to do X. And, you know, if you don't do X, then guess what? We're going to regulate the heck out of you and we're going to bury your business. And so there's not much of a option they're giving Twitter. They're saying, oh, no, they don't have to take our moderation advice. They don't have to take our advice on these issues. But at the end of the day, like I said earlier, the government has a monopoly on violence. And in this case, in the United States, they also have a monopoly on regulation. So if these companies don't comply, I would say it's not too illogical to think that the government would say, oh, you don't want to do it our way? Okay, we'll make you do it. We'll regulate you. And the only reason they haven't done that so far is because they want to do it in an underhanded way. I know this might be getting into some conspiracy thought processes for some people, but the government is, the people that work in the government are not naive. They understand that this is a violation of the First Amendment. So they're not going to come out directly and try to regulate these agencies and then obviously have it kicked up to the Supreme Court and have it struck down. What they're going to do is do it in an underhanded way. They're going to get what they want through more 
diplomatic means, going to these executives and saying, oh, well, we really want you to tamp down on this sort of thing. And there's another quote that I really want to bring up from the first half of the article, and there are a few more that I'll bring up later, but this one is really important. Quote, according to a draft copy of DHS's Homeland Security Review, DHS's capstone report outlining the department's strategy and priorities in the coming year, the department plans to target, quote, inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the, quote, origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine, end quote. Quote, the challenge is particularly acute in marginalized communities, the report says, which are often the targets of false or misleading information, such as false information on voting procedures targeting people of color, end quote. And if we really break down this list here, so we're talking about COVID-19, the disease itself, and the vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support in Ukraine. Well, if we look at those first two, the, the government does have a vested interest in ensuring that its populace is healthy. Do I think that it's okay that they're trying to spread the use of this vaccine and that they're trying basically to spread as much information as possible to make people feel more safe with a vaccine that has only been out for a year and is not a live virus vaccine? but rather an RNA vaccine that has not been tested. And when I say it has not been tested, it has gone through trials. But at the end of the day, this is a new technology that was developed very recently. It was developed over the course of a year and a half during the COVID pandemic with Project Warp Speed. And we don't have enough long-term data in order to confirm that it's not going to have long-term health effects. I think at this point, we can all acknowledge that as a serious concern. So it does make me question why the U.S. government wants to ensure that these sort of things are talked about in a positive light on social media. Also, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. That is a hotly debated topic, and it has caused some tension with China whenever it is brought up. And the, the U.S. government may not want to have that tension with China. So it makes sense that they would want to try to limit the amount of people blaming China for the release of this COVID pandemic. And then you look at the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, an absolutely humiliating moment in American foreign affairs, especially for the Biden administration. And the fact that they want to stop inaccurate information about that really speaks to the fact that, oh, the U.S. government, the Biden administration did something incompetent. And we don't want that message spread out there anymore. We don't want bad information about that. We only want it talked about in a positive light, if possible, or the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. And this kind of, when I heard this, it really reminded me of what Wilson did at the very beginning of his administration, which was during the World War I era, when he put in place a law, or sorry, I take that back, he backed a law to go through the Congress and the Senate that dissenters of the war could be thrown in jail. And the fact that they're trying to limit the amount of inaccurate information about U.S. support of Ukraine, why? If the people are dissatisfied and they don't want to be involved with this war in Ukraine, then the, you should listen. But obviously there's some other motive here. They want to ensure that the West is not 
humiliated by Vladimir Putin. So that's a reason. And they want to ensure that people are willing and able to support the war effort, maybe giving money or even just having a good public opinion so there are not riots and outrage about the continued support and waste of money when it comes to supporting Ukraine. So that's another very interesting aspect that we need to look at here. And if you break it down, all of these topics directly affect the government or have the government involved in some way, shape, or form. So it basically is propaganda. And when I say that, it's not the traditional propaganda where they put out their own message that is positive, but rather it's propaganda in the sense that they're trying to limit the amount of mal-information, inaccurate information about these topics. Now, can I directly say that this is their intent, that yes, it is because the government is wanting to make sure that the American populace's opinion is exactly and only positive on these issues. No, there are legitimate reasons behind it, or at least reasons that could be given to help explain why they are trying to limit this type of inaccurate information. And you will probably see that from a lot of these DHS officials here soon. But I'm, I'm telling you now, the fact that they all are affecting the government, that all of these topics are not necessarily winning topics for the government, it, it seems interesting. There's a very interesting correlation there that I think really needs to be taken into account. And this is another attempt by the DHS to really expand its power. Excuse me. In 2004, for instance... Quote, DHS officials faced pressure from George W. Bush administration to heighten the national threat level for terrorism in a bid to influence voters prior to the election, according to former DHS Secretary Tom Ridge. U.S. officials have routinely lied about an array of issues from the causes of its wars in Vietnam and Iraq to their more recent obfuscation around the role of the National Institution of Health in funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology's coronavirus research, end quote. And why I bring this up here is it's a, another example of the DHS going beyond its original mandate and also trying to protect the government. It is a tool of the government. It is a tool that they can use, especially in the case where George W. Bush tried to heighten the national th- threat level for terrorism in order to make voters scared. And when voters are scared, they want a strong leader. And Bush was the leader that they turned to during 9-11. So it kind of follows there. And I think, once again, the authors here are really trying to draw that connection that the DHS is not just there to look out for the American people anymore. Their purview, their original intent was to face terrorists on the national, international and slash global stage. And now they're trying to broaden what their falls within their purview because they don't want to become useless. They're kind of having an identity crisis. And in order to help slash justify their own existence, they are finding domestic terrorist threats here within the United States. They're finding harmful dis and misinformation, or at least they're labeling things that may not necessarily be misinformation as information for the sake of justifying why they need to be around. 
And a lot of these initiatives may not directly affect Americans' daily social feeds. It's kind of unclear. But we do know for a fact that the government has flagged plenty of posts. And in response, these social media platforms actually took those posts down. And this was brought out in a lawsuit by the uh, Misery Attorneys General. And this report came out in 2021. Actually, I'll just read the quote here. A 2021 report by the Election Integrity Partnership at Stanford University found that of nearly 4,800 flagged items, technology platforms took action on 35%, either removing, labeling, or soft-blocking speech, meaning that users were only able to view content after bypassing a warning screen. So this really does speak to the fact that Twitter people, whether it be the executives, whether it be the engineers, any of the workers at Twitter, they take the flagging of posts very seriously. And now imagine what happens if a government agency flags a post. And what I forgot to mention here that's very interesting is that the government actually has its own private portal to get into Facebook. And as of writing of this article, so yesterday, the page was still live. And if you want to look it up yourself, it is facebook.com forward slash xtakedowns forward slash login. And go check if that's still live. Because if it is, then it speaks to the fact that Meta and the government don't really care that this article is out there. Maybe it hasn't been picked up by major news organizations yet. I've seen lots of chatter on Twitter. I've seen lots of chatter from people that already thought that these platforms were censoring people, and now they have their proof, so they're vilified. But at the end of the day, I don't think I've seen a major article besides The Intercept talking about this. Now, you know, tomorrow will be another day, and it will have two days to be out there, and maybe people are vetting this report themselves and going through the evidence, and that's why they haven't spoken about it yet. But I do think it's very interesting that a lot of major news organizations have not picked this up yet. And we need to take another step back because we kind of have to ask ourselves how we got here. How did the DHS come to this point? We spoke about how they have lost their purpose or at least their main prerogative. But how did it come to the point where they felt so empowered or they felt righteous in doing this? And in 2018, quote, following high-profile hacking incidents of U.S. firms, Congress passed and Donald Trump signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Securities Agency Act, which, end quote, which created the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And it's better known, so I'll be calling it CISA. CISA, quote, boasted of an evolved mission to monitor social media discussions while, quote, routing disinformation concerns to private sector platforms. So basically, CISA is this middle middle ground between it's an agency that now falls under the DHS and they're here. Sorry, it's a agency that falls under the purview of DHS, but it is its own independent agency that is constantly looking through social media posts, looking through trends, and when they see something they don't necessarily like, they're at least contacting the people at these platforms and saying, hey, you really should be concerned about this. If you remember when Mr. Zuckerberg went on the podcast with Joe Rogan, 
Zuckerberg said that the FBI had come to them before the 2020 election and said that, oh, there's this story in the pipeline which we think is Russian misinformation. It turned out to be, or at least Facebook took that advice, and then when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out, they suppressed it because they said, oh, this is probably what the Russians uh, were doing. This is probably the misinformation campaign that the FBI was talking about. And a lot of people said that that would have changed their votes, seeing this Russian Biden laptop out there talked about more and understanding, wow, there actually may be some ties here between the political relationships of the vice president and his son getting different positions on boards and making very large sums of money in foreign countries. So we know that there has been talks, but this document or sorry, this article really just highlights how deep these connections go. And it makes me very, very scared that the media has not picked this up. And when I say the media, I mean, Fox News hasn't touched it. The Bellwalk hasn't touched it. The Daily Caller hasn't touched it. The Daily Beast, the Atlantic. And some of those last ones I talked about, like the Atlantic, the Daily Beast, they are not, and I repeat, they are not conservative publications. And I would expect a lot of conservative publications to pick this up. But the reason I mentioned the Atlantic and the Daily Beast is because they are very anti-establishment for the most part. They don't like the current establishment there. They're maybe a little bit more progressive. They want to see some change. And I'm not surprised that at least they didn't pick this up and say, look at what the government's doing. We need to change this. I would expect them to kind of rile up the troops a little bit more and really start to brew a populist movement behind this or at least have more populist discussion about it. But like I said, it's scary that this hasn't been picked up by anybody but kind of the fringe. And it really speaks to the fact that there is a lot of control and there's a lot of consensus between different media platforms, the government, and these new age social media companies that, no, 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 you know, for the sake of the government, we need to keep certain information away from the people. That's what this really is at the end of the day. And I'll just read... One more quote that I think is really, really important. And just so we're clear, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I am so sorry that I've been all over the place. But like I said, this was an emergency episode. I'm trying to get as much information down as I can. And I'm trying to get it all edited and posted by tomorrow morning. It's a little bit tighter than I would like. But I just felt like this was a story that you guys really, really need to know. And this last quote comes from a statement from the Biden administration last year. Quote, Biden has prioritized such efforts. Last year, the Biden administration released the first national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. The strategy identified a, quote, a broader priority, enhancing faith in government and addressing extreme polarization, fueled by a crisis of dis- and misinformation, often channeled through social media platforms, which can tear Americans apart and lead to violence, end quote. So talking about enforcing or trying to raise trust in government is a concerning thought in my mind. And it really speaks to the fact that the government has messed up a lot. You know, whether it's the Biden administration, whether it's the Trump administration, they have messed up a lot of key policy decisions, and Americans have been paying for it when it comes to high inflation, pointless wars, 
the lack of a presence on the world stage. And that's why you could argue that Putin has invaded Ukraine because we appear weaker. And this all stems back to the fact that the government has made terrible policy decisions. And now, in order to cover that up, in order to reassure that people have faith in the government, rather than do things that make the people have faith in the government, and rather than putting in policies that actually help people that make America stronger, they are trying to attack mis- and disinformation that directly goes against their narrative. And I said that would be the last quote, but I think there's one that really highlights something that's a little bit insidious here. Quote, one could argue we're in the business of critical infrastructure. This is from Jen Easterly, who is a uh, DHS director. Quote, one could argue we're in a business of critical infrastructure. And the most critical infrastructure is your cognitive infrastructure. So building that resilience to misinformation and disinformation, I think, is incredibly important. End quote. Do you see what she did there? Our cognitive infrastructure. (laughs) That's the most important infrastructure. Basically, what you think, how you think it, is the most important infrastructure. She's not even hiding it here. She's just trying to use fancy language. She is directly saying that when it comes to building infrastructure, we need to help build a certain mindset into our population, into our populace. That is exactly what she's getting at here, and it really speaks to what the DHS is trying to do when coordinating with these big social media companies that have a large control over the speech that goes on within our country and in the public forum. Now, I know that was a lot of doom and gloom, and I can't offer a daily delight today because I'm falling a little bit behind with trying to get this posted out there. So I hope that you listened to this, you didn't feel too sad, And you can know that I'm over here smiling, trying, giving you a thumbs up, trying to brighten your day because I don't have a daily delight. If you do want to read this article, though, it will be the only link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also there will be the Twitter handle. I put this article out on Twitter before I did a podcast on it yesterday and commented on it. So if you want to stay up to date and get any of the information, maybe ahead of a podcast or just any interesting news events. Normally I post them there and sometimes I comment and troll a little bit. So if you're interested in that, it's at your daily flip that's on Twitter. And in case, just so you know, it is down there in the description, the handle. So you could just copy and paste if you really need to. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.